Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Good day, you legends. Now, today I promised you, lovely, something very different. And I'm keeping my word as always. I wanted to bring something new to you, lovelies, in the form of an author interview. Now, I've had multiple authors reach out to me for different reasons, and each valid in their own right. But one interview opportunity stood out amongst the many about a man who had lost his daughter at the young age of 10 months. Reading through his story and what motivated him to write his children's book was really astounding to me. With Hans reaching out to me to chat about his book, I felt that this would be a great opportunity to share his story, his journey, why he wrote the book that he did, challenges he faced, and how this book supported the memory of his loving daughter. I also asked him what techniques he used to overcome difficulties with writing techniques, and I encountered for the first time what it means to have a meter when it comes to writing for children's books. So today's episode will be an interview held with Hans Kalberg, the author of the children's book Baby Aviva Orangutan Diva, a jungle quest to discover inner strength. Enjoy. Good day, good day, Hans. How you doing? Good day, good day. Hi, Simon. <laughs> How are you? It's always good, good to put a, a face to the name. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's always good. It's always really good. <laughs> How's it over there in California? It's going well. It's <laughs> it's pretty late at night here. It's 11 o'clock, but um, everyone's yeah. asleep, so that's a good thing. You know, it's it's kind of a Mediterranean climate, um, so oh. we are about 70, 75 in, in the daytime, uh, so that's Fahrenheit. Yeah, it's pretty pretty nice weather. I'm trying to have a quick look. 75, 23 Celsius. Oh, nice, nice. That's good temperature. Yeah. Also, I can see you've got an awesome guitar in the back there and a saxophone. Do you play both of those? Yeah, so so I mess around with the saxophone, uh, the guitar. My wife's family is all musicians, so Jesus. they're all. Uh, yeah, she she comes from a big family of ten kids, uh, wow. <laughs> and she's the baby. And so, like most of them, the older ones are are kind of you know some of them were touring musicians, and, and now they're kind of instructors. So so yeah, goodness, that's awesome. All right, that's that's yeah. cool. I tried a bit of guitar myself and I play a bit of piano. So, yep, you're in good company. Nice. So, <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, but I, I'm not good at saxophone at all. So just, <laughs> it looks cool, I, though. I it looks do cool. it to, uh, to annoy the neighbors, I think. Maybe. <laughs> Late at night, 11 p.m., just cracking out some tunes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll start with the first question, which basically you know, tell us about yourself and from an author perspective, that is, as, as well as any inspirations that influence you to write. Because a lot of my uh, listeners, they're often starting out as authors or they don't know where to start. So it'd be good to get an understanding of what inspires you and what motivates you. Yeah. So I, I've been writing from a young age, just, you know, just, just in grammar school from, you know, writing stories and creative writing is something that I've always really loved. But actually poetry has kind of been more of my <laughs> forte, I would say. And, and I think it kind of came from, um, I'm a sappy uh, romantic at, at heart. So it, it was really just, you know, writing these poems to, to ex-girlfriends and, and crushes yeah. and, and things like that. <laughs> but when I met my wife, it was, uh, it just kind of came out like every single day, there's like a new poem and it was just kind of coming to you. And, and, you know, any writer who's been in that mode can really kind of attest to how fast uh, creativity actually comes to you. But when I became a father almost five years ago now, my eldest son is about five years old. It just became, you know, more about stories and more about, you know, telling him stories of fantastical tales of, of cars or unicorns <laughs> or, 
giraffes. I literally just put them down uh, an hour ago or so. And uh, the story was about a giraffe <laughs> that couldn't dance and was was really shy and everything. But but yeah, it's it's always fun just to create a, a story. And yes, yeah, so that's kind of how it came to children's uh, stories. And so combining the poetry, the, the rhyming, the meter, the verse, as well as kind of thinking a little bit outside the box in terms of what you can make up. So That's great. Is it daily that you're sitting down with your kids to, to go through those short stories? Yeah. So we have a bedtime routine. It's one <laughs> book and one story. Sometimes I get two books if, wow, <laughs> if, if they beg hard enough. But, but yeah, so you know, bedtime routine is usually about 45 minutes at the least. Uh, <laughs> more. But yeah, so, so I give them an option. So one, one of the things that I actually do is uh, let them pick the main characters. And so my two other kids, you know, sometimes my daughter can pick like a unicorn and <laughs> my son picks a race car. And so all of a sudden we have, you know, a unicorn driving a race car and then there's like, <laughs> you know, some kind of commotion or some kind of, yeah, usually a conflict is always a, a main part of the story. So, so you're doing so, a bit yeah. of like improv with your kids. Plus, are you ever using any of these ideas for like future books that you write? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's total improv. It's, it's total improv. <laughs> and, and I'm kind of like storing some stuff in, in, in my head, but I'm not actually writing it down, which I probably should. But but I, I don't know if you know this. There's a show here in the in the States. It's called Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yes, uh, it's fantastic. You know fantastic. Yeah, it's, yeah. A great show in, in the past. And it was, it was like that. It was audience participation. They throw out different <laughs> things. The, and I always used to love that show. So that's pretty much uh, <laughs> how the bedtime goes with with storytelling. They're very lucky. And it's also not an easy job to do. My goodness. Sheesh. No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> Especially when, when it's been a long day and you're tired. And, and, oh, and yeah. Because so, yeah. you're saying you, about an hour ago, you put them to bed, right? So you're doing all that for 45 minutes prior to that. And then come on to chat to myself. Oh, yeah, yeah, funny, well, was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Usually, usually they get down by eight o'clock, but it's um, it's it's good. So that's great. So, on to my next question regarding how you broke in as an author. So, what was the first sort of stepping stone? So, getting these ideas, what was that first break in to go? No, I should write these down. I should go off and I should do X, Y, Z to get into that that sphere. Yeah, so it was really just all of these kind of stories accumulated over time. And I, I've always wanted to be a children's book author. As a, as a dad, you're, you're reading all these books and some of them are just, you know, lame. But for whatever <laughs> reason, uh, the kids want to read it again and again and again. And they get really attached to it. So that was always percolating in the back of my head. But it wasn't until my family, we, we lost our third child, Aviva. Uh, last year in November 2020, tragically to to an unknown cause, uh, we we still don't know, you know how she died uh, or what she died of. But it was because of her that that I wanted to have something to commemorate her life, but also have her siblings remember who she was, and also share her personality with the world, who she was this this bubbly, loving, carefree, joyous. Uh, little girl that I knew very well as her father. Um, I was just beyond heartbroken. I was just uh, sad in that a lot of other people wouldn't be able to, to meet her, the friends that she would have had in, in kindergarten or, you know, the lifelong, you know, life events that, that I wanted her to have. I, I, I felt that this was a way to commemorate her life, you know, in, in eternity to allow other people to really know her, but also know her story and and message that she has for the world. Well, fantastic. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's it in a nutshell, but yeah. 
that initial leap? Was that moving into creativity and books or just the very, I'm pretty sure you've written other books in this space. Is that correct? I've, I've written a few other books, but more, more like, you know, parenting books, like one, there's book like dad hacks, but this is my first children's book. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. In, in, in terms of the motivation to do it, uh, there was no lack of that. Of course. I yeah. actually wrote the script, the original script, uh, about a week after she died, about, wow. about a week after she passed. And, and this was, you know, when I was in the throes of, you know, of grief and oftentimes you hear people losing a loved one. It was this case for me, there's a burst of creativity. There's just a lot of creativity that I want to express, right? There, there's a lot of emotions that are just bottled up and you want to you know, get it out somehow. And, and when when the tears don't come anymore because you've just been crying so much, there's there's other ways to actually express those those emotions and, the, and those feelings. But for me, you know, there's a saying that someone actually told me even the day after she died, they, when, when you lose your parents, you lose your past. When you lose your spouse, you lose your present. And when you lose your kids, you lose your future. And, and for me, you know, I, I don't want to accept that. It's, it's just, it doesn't sit well with me. And I, I certainly want her to still have a really good future and still have a really good you know, future wherever she is. And I think through this book, her legacy will still live. And even though she won't ever physically get to meet people, um, others will get to know who she is. And, and that's the future that, that I want to build for, for my daughter. That's fantastic. I mean, the book that you've written is definitely already reaching out to other kids and, and families and, and changing people. Like I know for a fact, I've seen the reviews, I've read through them. Um, they're all amazingly positive and no surprise, but the reach that you've got is, is your goal is definitely being achieved. Definitely. My next query in regards to the inspiration being your daughter. So it'd be good to understand more about Aviva's personality. So what you thought were the key characteristics that you would put in that character as Aviva? What was the choice selection of a most endearing traits? Like, why did you pick them? And do you think that's the reason why it's so successful? Yeah, thanks so much for asking that, Simon. I, I really <laughs> love talking about Aviva. And, and I really, you know, um, one of the misconceptions about parents who have lost children is that they don't want to talk about their children, but that couldn't be farther from the fact. Um, okay, great. Know, I, I love talking <laughs> about her all the time. And so um, a little <laughs> a little about her personality. She was just this bubbly character, you know, uh, had two older siblings and really always looked up to them. And so was always just kind of following them around and, and everything. And, and I told you that my wife's family is very musical. And so we always have music going on in the house, whether it's someone playing or, or even, um, you know, the, the kids singing, but um, I'll just relate one story. My son was playing in a, a harmonica and, and he really loves that little instrument. And, and this was a day or two before she actually passed. She was sitting there, you know, right in front of him, you know, dancing, just just dancing around and uh, and, and just smiling, like this big, big smile. Um, she looked up to her brother, but she was just very carefree, you know, went with anything that life threw her way. Uh, she went through a lot of different obstacles in and out of the hospital six uh, different times. You know, she always embraced it with this with this can-do attitude, this spirit that nothing's going to stop me and nothing, nothing's going to get in my way. Another, you know, another story about her is she loved to eat. Um, she ate everything <laughs> and anything in her path. Um, I would actually say that she had her dad's stomach because I love to eat. And, and, and so anything she got her hands on, actually, the way that we got her to crawl for the very first time was we, we bribed her with a little cracker. No. And put it, you know, a couple of paces in front of her and, and she <laughs> started moving and, and lo and behold, you know, she was motivated by, by that little, <laughs> little tracker. 
Um, but she loved all types of fruit. She loved bananas, which is actually a big thing in the yep. book. Um, <laughs> but there's this one story where we were on a road trip and during COVID took a lot of different family trips like that. And, and we stopped on the side of the road. Uh, there's this vendor selling cherries and, and cherries, as you know, are, are very, uh, messy to eat. If, yep. you know, if, if you're not putting them in your mouth and you get them <laughs> in your hands, well, you know, she got this bag of cherries and, you know, we're driving and, and then 30 minutes later, we, we look back and she has just red cherry juice all oh over her, uh, her, her face. And, and, and she looked like, um, a little Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was, it was just hilarious to see that, but yeah, I, I think, you know, th- those are the, the qualities and characteristics that, that she had. And she just, you know, her smile is, is another big thing. Um, her smile, her laugh, just a cute, cutest little giggle. Um, and I would say, you know, the easiest uh, of our three kids, definitely the easiest uh, to take care of. So that's fantastic. It, it sounds like she was a, definitely a, a bigger than life personality and slightly mischievous, right? So, <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. And just on that note, now that she's passed and, and, and she's no longer here, my other two children, they, whenever they get into some, you know, some kind of trouble, like they, they eat the cookies or, or maybe they broke something or made a mess. They blame it on their sister, Aviva. Serious? <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Gosh. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be blaming Aviva. She, yeah. she definitely didn't do it. But, they, <laughs> but that's how they, uh, you know, whenever they get, get caught red-handed. So it's, it's funny, cheeky. But, yeah, very cheeky. In constructing these questions, you know, I, was, I wasn't I was sure how to approach the topic, especially when you said that most parents, I would imagine, wouldn't necessarily want to talk about the, the children that passed. Um it's fascinating. Not only did you take the creativity path, but you also chose to remember her in a totally different way than others would never even dream of. It's, it's actually, honestly, not only a feel-good story. Talk about refocusing that lens, creating a memory that's going to literally last forever and it impacts so many people. It's commendable. So I just want to say that just as a heads up. <laughs> yeah. No, no, thanks, Simon. And, and, and honestly, there was literally no other thought in my mind. Like it, it wow. was, it was it was, I, I have to do this. And, and and it was the first thought and it was just, you know, I have to let the world know who she is. Um, I have to get her out there into the world and, and, and share her story because that was for me, one of the, the hardest things about, about losing her is, is that, you know, I, I don't want to lose her future. And and by doing this now I have, you know, a prop um, that, that I can sit here and, and, and talk about her and let people be inspired by her, be motivated by her, but also, you know, understand her message, which I'm, you know, almost a vessel, a channel for getting her message out. So that's, that's how I kind of see my, my purpose. There, there's definitely a lot of reordering of what's, what's the value and, and what your purpose is. And, and so for me right now, that is, um, you know, top of mind. On that topic as well, with regards to that griefing process, like when it comes to resilience in this book, to show children the idea and concept of what resilience is, that was that easier and and, and what or, or difficult and what process did you take or what examples did you give the kids to identify what resilience was? Yeah, I think um, adversity is something that we all as humans will face at some point in our life, and and it starts when you're a little kid. You know, the adversity of of not getting your toy or or getting hurt on the playground or getting into a conflict, maybe a bully in, in school, and so we all come to that. So that's, that's what makes this particular type of conflict a relatable issue. In this case, it's uh, the family's out of food and they're looking for bananas. 
Aviva comes eye to eye with this fearsome beast of the jungle, this tiger. And she wonders, you know, how do I actually overcome this obstacle? How do, how do I actually go out and achieve this task of getting these bananas? Uh, she sits there and thinks for a minute and just realizes that she already has everything that she needs to actually overcome this and uses her own strengths, which for her is the singing and dancing component and this ability to charm people or, or animals in this case. And so <laughs> um, she ends up uh, singing and dancing and the tiger becomes just amused with it. And then all of a sudden becomes enchanted and starts <laughs> dancing as well, which when you talk about defeating a tiger, you'll talk about maybe throwing some sticks or some yeah. rocks or, or doing something with violence. But in this case, it was a nonviolent way to overcome this particular obstacle and overcome your fears as well. We all have our own fears and, and whatever those are, searching deep within yourself, there's ways to really overcome those. And so that was it. And, and the real life story of Aviva's resilience is that she was in and out of the hospital, as I said, six different times. And, and every single time she just battled it and had a big smile on her face at the end of the day. So yeah, that's amazing. Um, that's one of the big stories, big underlying messages that I want to get out in, in the book is, is really, you know, by being true to your own self are certainly ways you just have to maybe think outside of the box a little bit to overcome your fears. But when you put your mind to something, you can really do it. I mean, thinking about being like your little animal trying to take on a tiger, I mean, physical violence really isn't an option. Um, so, you know, using your brain and, and being charming and enchanting, I mean, that's possibly one of the only ways being, you know, ingenious and also sneaky right in there, pretty smart writing. So from a kid's perspective, when they're reading that and they're understanding that that violence isn't the only way, and two, they can quickly realize seeing a giant tiger, there's no opportunity to, to physically harm this beast. So I think, you know, yeah. th that, that careful writing as, you know, going in and out of hospital for you know, six times, that in resilience in itself, obviously portrayed through that tiger, the tiger being that semantical object. Yeah. And then, and then, then a third layer uh, that, that I'm trying to get across, but it's, it's, it's very subdued. Um, it's, it's really kind of the resilience of grief in and of itself. And for me, this, this is certainly a, a huge outlet. I'm trying to refill my cup, you know, my cup of, of happiness, you know, has, has just been completely decimated little by little with every single reader that, that reads this book. That's just one little, little drop in that cup. But the grieving journey is, is very difficult. It's very hard and, and there's no right way or wrong way to do it. And everyone's unique in and of itself, but there's a certain amount of resilience to overcoming what's for parents, one of the biggest tragedies one can actually face. And so that's kind of uh, a third layer to that. I'll throw a bit of a curveball and you can correct me. <laughs> um, was there any resentment from the people that you knew and love about what you were doing? No, I, there was, um, you know, my, my wife was definitely my, my biggest supporter and, and definitely biggest champion. And, and, um, you know, she was right there from the start from when I was just writing out on, on a piece of paper, she backed me fully. And, and oh, for, fantastic. for me, that's really the only voice that matters. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly very good at, at blocking out any other <laughs> voices. My, <laughs> my mom and I, we went head to head a lot of times. And, and so I, I got very accustomed to kind of blocking out authority <laughs> and not, <laughs> not really listening, but of course I have to listen to my wife. And, and so you know, she was fully behind it and blessed the project in and of itself, even though for her, her grieving journey is uh, completely different. If you would ask her, she would say you know, she wants to keep Aviva to herself and that relationship that she has with her. She doesn't necessarily want that to be public, but she realizes that I'm completely different. And for me, 
being able to talk about her is, is actually uh, a healing mechanism for me in and of itself. It's that cathartic approach to communicating with others, what you're feeling. Yes, yes, exactly. Also just letting them know about my daughter. So, And that kind of moves you on to that next query with regards to being true to oneself. So that was the path you chose. That echoes throughout the book. Do you have any examples of what Aviva did in this, in this case? Yeah. You know, every single time that she came across a lot of adversity, she would be very open to it. And, uh, you know, we could see that she was in pain a few different times and would never lose her character and her, her smile. I, I would say that that was the biggest thing, her smile and her, her laughter, her joy. You know, I, I can recount many times when she looked like she was in bad shape and, and she would just crack a smile and, and, and just look over at me. She, was, she actually responded very well even when she was in the womb to, to my singing. So I, I, I wow. love singing to her and, and it would always calm her down. Um, I was, I was pretty good at, at getting her to sleep. I was actually uh, the favorite parent um, to get her <laughs> down for, for nap time and, and bedtime. And it was always, you know, lullabies and, and um, actually a lot of Elvis Presley and uh, <laughs> nice. Louis Armstrong, oh, um, gosh. you know, like wise men say, Nice. Only fools rush in. That's you know, it's it's incredibly you know lullaby ish. Right? Yeah. So. <laughs> so she sounds like she's like a a child with a spark, and you can just tell when you see children like that, they just bundles of joy. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll show you. Show you a <laughs> oh, little, wow. uh, oh, that's an awesome picture. She just had had the best the best smile and and. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always say I'm not ever going to have a favorite child, but <laughs> I guess I can still have, I can have a favorite child now, but she was oh, just, just gorgeous. <laughs> That's lovely. In regards to vocabulary with writing your book. So what, what would be the age group with regards to these kind of bigger concepts, drill that down so kids can understand them? Like, is there a technique or, or what do you go through to write like that? Yeah. So the age range for this book um, is two to eight. Um Although I have some nephews and nieces that are about 10, 11, 12, that, and they, they love it as well. But I found from you know the, the people uh, that have been reading it, a lot of my friends, uh, kids, around about five, four or five, I'd say was, is kind of the sweet spot. But in terms of getting those messages across, it's a really good question because uh, my editor was actually, actually editor at Disney Books at one point. You know, she, she came to me and, and said, you know, it's, it's really, really difficult to incorporate a lot of these deep messages while also having a rhyming book because you know rhymes definitely limit you in terms of the words but also the meter and how that actually sounds if you're flowing right a lot of the underlying messages actually come out towards the end teamwork on um, one of the last pages is is really you know the best things in life can't be accomplished alone and that's true for almost anything, you know, starting a company. Um, I've, I've been an entrepreneur in, in the past, you know, you have, have to have the right teammate or marriage. You have to have the right partner, whatever it is, the best things in life, I, I think happen with, with someone else and sharing that, that experience. And so that was a, a very direct one. It's, it's kind of uh, introduced at the very kind of beginning when Sophia and Aviva, the elephant, it's, it's Sophia come together and, and, and form this team. And so so yeah, it's it's there's there's some subtlety to it. The very last one is is, is staying true to yourself. You kind of have to outright, you know, just say that. But <laughs> it is it is difficult. It it is a challenge. It's not uh, <laughs> you get these children's books and and there's one main theme to it. But I think here there there's actually four or five different yeah. ones in terms of 
she was willing to face off against this tiger when nobody else would even cross the river, you know, and she just didn't, didn't have that fear. So then using your innate talents, your, your inner strengths um, to overcome adversity and then teamwork and, and the other ones we've already talked about. So the media you mentioned, right? I don't think I've heard that term thrown around too often. Um, is the media referring to like the gauge at which children can absorb that information? It's, it's more about kind of the meter is, is kind of the either like a staccato. Um, so oh. it's like one and two and three and four or, you know, yep. one and one and two, three and four. Yeah. Just, just kind of like that. And, and we were huh. <laughs> just talking on the phone and, and counting things out like that, um, <laughs> which to me, I, I never, never even knew. <laughs> yeah. So, the, and, you know, it, it makes sure that you cut off, you know, words that don't make sense or, or there's one, like, instead of saying across, I would, I would just say cross just to make ah. sure. It's, it's- so that, that kind of like creating a cadence for the kids to kind of move along with and read along with. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Oh, fantastic. Exactly. The, the words you picked when you're writing any sort of short story or a novel or a kid's book in this case, I mean, kids books sound like a whole different breed on their own, like how you manage and how you write because the words you have on that page have to be limited, like you're saying, but also they have to all carry that weight, that heavy burden of every word being so poignant and needing to be there. Yeah, no, you def- definitely have to to kind of open up. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't open up the thesaurus because, you know, some of the words that you're are just too big. And so if you think of like Dr. Seuss, Dr. Seuss, you know, he used very, very small words. And in places where he couldn't actually make a rhyme, he would just make up a word. And, oh. and be, you know. <laughs> uh, if you read like the Lorax or something like, or, or the Grinch, like there's words that he just makes up just to fit in <laughs> space. So that, that's one way. Maybe for my next book, I'll kind of go that route because that sounds a little bit easier. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you, uh, yeah, have you, have you thought of breaking that rule, that whole structure and just going straight from the throat and just making up a whole word? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> but possibly, but, um, but yeah, so it definitely took a, a, a little bit of uh, back and forth and there was, definitely a lot of red marks on, on my first uh, draft, but <laughs> actually there's one part where Aviva's swinging through the jungle like Tarzan. And so I used Tarzan, but uh, she, she cut that out. She said, you can't use Tarzan. It's, it's, you know, copyright, uh, copyright word. And because she worked at Disney and Disney owns Tarzan. Oh, good save. I didn't realize that Tarzan himself was actually copyright. I thought maybe it would have been like public domain, but I'm guessing not. Wow. Yeah, I think when you use it like that, yeah, it, it is. Sheesh. <laughs> that's, that's what I found out. So, Did you have any like major challenges when you wrote this book? So like anything that kind of, you know, not necessarily writer's block, but in this mm-hmm. case, it would be more to do with like limitations, like using Tarzan is a good example. But were there any other major issues with workflow? So writing, writing from A to Z, the word limitation was one, Tarzan mm-hmm. two. Were there any mm-hmm. other challenges with regards to developing the concept? Was there a challenge in, in which path you would take and, and what animal you would pick? Yeah. So actually, you know, in terms of the, the characters of the book, it, once you read it, like you'll, you'll notice uh, all these characters, they're uh, a little bit outside the, the norm, but they all kind of originate from uh, parts of Indonesia, uh, Borneo and Sumatra. So orangutans mm-hmm. are native to that part of the world. Um, and that's where a lot of deforestation is happening. And a lot of these animals are endangered. So there's Malayan tiger. That's the tiger. There's you know elephants there. There's tapers. There's sloths. So I wanted to actually call attention to these animals. I'm a big fan of animals, animal lover, I would say. 
another you know yeah. aspect of choosing <laughs> the characters and and so uh with the illustrator Carl Mefford uh, who did a fantastic job we actually went through a lot of uh a lot of these characters and and made sure that they looked realistic and 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 that part you know the character drawing um was was really fun but in terms of the orangutan one of our very last family outings um you know 3 days before she passed uh we went to the zoo and San Diego has a really nice zoo here and long day at the zoo the two other toddlers were losing it there it was like nap time <laughs> it was around two o'clock uh in, in the afternoon hot day uh they were just like lying down on the, on the ground and aviva meanwhile had been sitting in my pouch in on my chest and so she she had already by the time we came to the very last animals which were uh the orangutans and uh she was just fascinated by these orangutans just uh, watching just entranced with you know what they were doing climbing up these different ropes and obstacle courses and everything else we stayed there for about 20 minutes talking to the zookeeper and and she just had this connection this bond and and I've always loved orangutans myself and they're intelligent creatures they're they're often kind of overlooked i would say some somewhat not the most beautiful creatures i i would <laughs> i would probably put it but but in terms of um in terms of their intelligence, in terms of, you know, kind of how they connect with humans, uh, I, I would say they're, they're kind of top of, you know, um, the ape family. So they're often confused with monkeys. They're actually apes. Even, and, even I made that mistake. I called a monkey way yeah, off. Yeah, no, it's, it's easy. It's, 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 it's a common mistake. It's a common mistake. But, um, but yeah, so, so that was kind of why uh, we picked a orangutan and, and there's not many books about orangutans. To tell no. you, sure. you see, yeah, you're you see right. a lot of monkey books and, and gorilla books, but, but yeah. Well, I think that's what also stands out when people look online and the categories and it's got like, you know, monkeys and apes, but mm-hmm. orangutan doesn't really, it doesn't even equate in that formula for people's search patterns. It's just fascinating. Yeah. So definitely yeah. it's, it's a kind of a, a double whammy where you've got this beautiful animal linked to your lovely daughter and, and the fact that underrepresented orangutans in a, in a field of fictional, I guess, fictional um, books to bring kids in. It's just, it's yeah. just lovely. Yeah. If you were to give new authors some advice, people who, who are just starting out and are not sure where to start in producing a book, is it as simple as literally going to MS Word or any, any sort of notebook, writing down your kind of your key ideas um, and then thinking about the end game, you know, writing it for kids or writing your demographic last and just getting an understanding of what message you want to get across first? Like, how did you do it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I told you that um, I've been an entrepreneur in my past life. Mm-hmm. And so part of that is, is really kind of trying to find the right product market fit, right? Talking about an audience of, of small kids and, and toddlers. And so as a storyteller at night um, with three little kids, um, now two physically here, you know, I, I, I tell a story every night, every, every single night I get to test a new product, right? A new story. <laughs> And, and get to see their reactions. And those reactions are kind of born in, you know, the questions, uh, <laughs> the questions that they're asking, or, if, you know, the next day they, they kind of, you know, ask more about it or, or, you know, how engaged they are. Um, or if they're laughing, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, there, there's often funny stories and just make, <laughs> make things up <laughs> that are just, uh, just a little ludicrous, but yeah, it, it's, it's with that, like that's you know, practice what it is. And so like, even, even though this is my first official children's book, you know, it's certainly not my first children's story at all. And so I, I would say that's for me has been really beneficial. I would say in, in terms of the structure and the outline of the book, we were talking about, 
kind of this improv and taking characters and creating a plot out of it. For me, I, I always kind of have a crescendo and, and so give the backdrop, have a, a description of the surroundings and get really like in, in the weeds of, of describing the background and then introduce a conflict, something uh, like a dragon that comes in and or s- something that really causes adversity. You have the protagonist uh, usually um, being the one to kind of resolve those those conflicts and and at the end for kids uh, ha- having a happy ending uh, that's for <laughs> sure, for sure. pretty bad <laughs> just leave with <laughs> with an unresolved ending but um but yeah it, usually that does the trick and uh hopefully five minutes later they're as fast asleep <laughs> but that's kind of that's kind of how I, I craft my stories that's lovely so so i guess if you're going to give yourself advice in that space um, as to what to avoid when designing this book or writing for kids, what would be like one key point that you would communicate to yourself or you know other authors that are in this space trying to break into that sector? I would say don't go it alone. Um, mm. Definitely, definitely, definitely get it, get an editor. There, there's a lot of improvement. I would say uh, from from the first draft to the final, and iterations going back and forth. And a lot of times, she actually gave me you know leeway for for me to choose different words or different sentences. And, and she was like, you know, this doesn't fit, you know, make, make something, make something better. Um, so I, so I had her, but I also had a sounding board, you know, with family and friends uh, that I was able to read, read this to and, and kind of just get a live audience and, and, and make sure that the funny parts are supposed to be funny and, and, <laughs> and, and the, the messages are supposed to come through. And it's, it's funny now, you know, just reading, you know, reviews on, on Amazon or Goodreads or something. A lot of times, people are taking different things from the book that 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 kind of resonate with them because when you think about the readers, they always kind of read it from their own perspective. And so, if they're having a trouble with their teamwork, maybe they're getting the the team element for it. Or if they're having trouble being true to yourself, maybe they get that. One other thing is is the protagonists are actually female. So, Sophia and Aviva, um, they're the real life sisters, by the way. But they they kind of defeat this this tiger, and and so female empowerment is another underlying theme. So people get out different things from the book and and it's not until you actually go out and test it with people that you kind of, you know, see what they're getting from it. What seems like a normal children's book is far from it. It's packed full of amazing things. And the more you explain, the more deeper dive that you give into this, the more I understand writing it and designing it. But there's a lot of themes in there that would be so difficult to subtly implement in a kid's yeah. book, let alone even a short story in regards to getting one person and other groups of people to perceive that same book in so many different ways. Yeah. The, the final thing I would say, and this cannot be understated enough is, is get a really good illustrator, you know, or an illustrator that you work with uh, very well. And so children are, are very, <laughs> they, they do judge a book by its cover. Uh, <laughs> we're not supposed to do that in real life. Right. But they see the the final product and they, they can tell if it's, if it's quality illustrations or not, but um, Carl was one of actually 10 different illustrators I interviewed wow. and, and um, you know, went through portfolios and read reviews and, and, um, and then actually, you know, talked to them, but it, we just had a really good rapport just working back and forth and, and everything was, was actually messages, sending me files and, and I commenting and giving stuff back. But it starts with the very first paginations of the book were just stick figures, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, have the storyboard and see where things fit and see where words fit before you even get into the character drawings, which we got like five different iterations of what a beaver would look like. And I kind of suggested that maybe we can kind of like make her look a little like 
my real life daughter and he, he kind of pushed back and it's like, <laughs> you know, that, that'd be a little creepy, <laughs> which I think he, he was right. Um, he, he actually uh, used to work at Scholastic Books and, you know, he's just done a fantastic job. So I gave him a lot of leeway in, in what he was designing, but there's a lot of cool illustrations and little, little things that are subtle that because I was self-publishing, I was able to kind of get in. I'm a big surfer and there's a, there's one uh, part of the book where, where she's actually surfing um, <laughs> down a tree, which, which is really cool. And, and there's, there's little um, birds and bees and butterflies and, and, and those, those are kind of representative of, of the afterlife. Uh, so just, you know, just different things like that. The two kind of takeaways I got from that as well was that you know, trust trust your editor or find a good one. Trust your artist and communicate really like effective communication. I, I get a feeling like even in business, right? When you when you have someone that maybe isn't meeting your artistic requirement, but they communicate effectively so you can get them to where you want them to be is absolutely critical. So I'd imagine that that would be, I guess, similar perhaps in this case where there's pushback in regards to artistic flavor, um, but through really good communication there, there's and that trust was built. You're able to pick that right person for the job. Yeah. And, and I was able to kind of communicate my ideas and just things that are in my head. And, and he was able to actually just execute like, yeah, things like how he already had a pretty good idea of, of what, what, what he wanted to illustrate. So absolutely awesome. I always love hearing good stories about um, artists' work. Cause I always hear horror stories about, you know, paid X amount of dollars and I, you know, we got to the last point and then all of a sudden it's completely not what I wanted. And it's yeah. another month's way to work. Like, was there a fast turnaround for his work or like, was it months? Was it weeks or even days? Yeah. I had our very first call on January 1st, um, 2021, uh, this year. And I think he, he delivered his final packet, I think in April, but yeah, that, that was kind of the time frame. Uh, nice. That, work with that's impressive that's impressive yeah. especially with but, all that that you know the concept art behind it all gosh but yeah but it was it was a lot of iteration it was a lot of back and forth you know from the stick figures to everything else so, <laughs> that's the best part about storyboard and you can kind of get your you can understand the physical connection with each character to another and then the theme as can it be conveyed through that physical movement tricky but fun yeah even when he had the final illustrations you know filling it in with the color mm-hmm. we had different you know, either paints or pastels oh, or yeah. di- different different types of color, even which which makes a big difference. So yeah, yeah, a lot, the, a lot the, of things is really cool to to learn. Definitely a big learning experience for me. Yeah, the art medium plays a big part, especially to kids. Like you said, they you know they do judge the book by its cover and everything in it. Um, so they can't understand the words. They can at least get the vibrancy and and the soft colors. I, I've noticed in your book the colors are quite soft. Um, and, and easy on the eyes. And I, that's obviously on purpose. Um, and it yeah. makes easy reading as well. So it's kind of like a, like a dream, dreamland effect. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can read it a, a couple of times and, and you'll still see like some new things. And there, there's a part where uh, Tito the tiger and Aviva are, are hugging. Um, they put their arms around each other. And in the background, there's these leaves that, that kind of come over their, their heads and it's in the shape of a heart. Um, so there's you know, just little, <laughs> little things like that are, are cool. That's really cool. Did you want to uh, jump right into reading your book? Yeah, I definitely, definitely would love to do that. I'll go ahead and and, uh, read it right now. And just uh, so you know, I am originally from the south part of the United States in North Mm -hmm. Carolina. And so the very first sentence um it's called is yeehaw okay go uh, for it (laughs) that's kind of from from my southern roots but (laughs) all right here it goes baby aviva orangutan diva out of the darkness and into the light, a rocket, comet, or maybe 
a star so bright. Swinging from the treetops was Baby Aviva, just two feet tall, the orangutan diva. A rainbow of bright colors and a dress of green, the most vibrant outfit that you've ever seen. Zipping on down from the tops of the trees, good morning, she sang to the birds and the bees. Her voice rang out clearly, a sweet little tune. Her melody carried right up to the moon. Tommy rumbling, she did a shimmy down a tree. She searched for bananas, but where could they be? Hard as she looked, there were none to be found. Holy moly, guacamole, she cried, her jaw dropping to the ground. We're out of bananas? No, that can't be right. Maybe they're just hiding out of our sight? It's true, I'm afraid, Mama said with a frown. We must cross the river, though I fear we might drown. She was right. No ape, monkey, or goat had crossed in quite some time. For the tigers were roaming and crocs were waiting in line. But the time was urgent. Her family was out of food. I'll go, said Aviva. Is anyone else in such a brave mood? I'll come, said Sophia. I'm brave and I'm strong. I'll help you to cross with my trunk ten feet long. Great. Nothing's too scary for my friend Sophia and I. We'll pluck those bananas right out of the sky. So off the two runs across the raging river, a place that nobody dared go and barely even said with a shiver. When they reached the cliff's edge, Aviva had a plan. She would slide down Sophia's trunk and swing with one hand. Up upon high, they could see lots of bananas below. Her heart pumping, yet fearless. She was ready to go. Whoosh, went Aviva. She flew through the air, landing ever so gently where others don't dare. She perched on the treetop and searched upon high until at long last the golden fruit caught her eye. But as she crept closer, a filled the skies. Her heart jumped in fear at that sudden surprise. Lurking below was what others feared most, an animal mean enough to scare a ghost. Bright yellow eyes peered up from far beneath. A menacing snarl showed up sharp, pointy teeth. Aviva looked down. She has seen things far worse. Scared she was not of this loud, frightful curse. The tiger she knew could become her new friend. Just be yourself, she thought. Do not pretend. Tito the tiger wagged his tail as if to give a warning sign, but soon became shocked when he saw Aviva smiling in the sunshine. Aviva began to sing. Rhythmic and sweet. Far below, Tito's feet swayed to the beat. What first was a shuffle became a full-out dance. Whee! 
he said, moving his feet in a prance. He grooved to the music he howled out with glee. Now, Aviva was excited to climb down that tree. Aviva said, move your body like this, okie dokie. Soon, they were dancing a mix between salsa and the hokey pokey. Beep, bobby do what? Beep, bam, boom. The orangutan and the tiger were having a party at high noon. They shook their hands, waved their tails, then stomped their feet. The new pals were working up a sweat under tropical heat. Soon, they got hungry and realized it was time to eat. Taking a break, Tito offered up a piece of meat. Uh, can I have a banana? Aviva said, please? And maybe some extra to bring across the trees? Aviva was proud. She'd remembered her task. Of course, Tito said. All you had to do was ask. They smiled at each other as they both scarfed them down. Putting her arms around him, Aviva said, You're the coolest tiger in town. So a friendship was born over snacks and a song. Because Aviva was brave, her family wouldn't be hungry for long. As she walked back with Sophia, she was glad to go home. The best things in life can't be accomplished alone. But above all, Aviva the diva was true to herself. And at the end of the day, that's what matters most above everything else. The end. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic, Hans. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Nailed it. That, well that was fun. <laughs> yeah, that, that was really fun. <laughs> I really appreciate that. No worries. I can't wait. I'll do my own magic and I can't wait to share it with the gang on the podcast. Maybe there's something in your own. You can do your own podcast and you can share these kind of stories. Who knows? Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's fun. It's fun. I've but it's it's just really fun, you know, having these conversations. To tell you the truth, I I, uh, I really I really enjoy it and really appreciate uh, your time and, and for having me on the show. Oh, likewise, man. Likewise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know, yeah. The last thing I would say is like you're like just craft this vision or craft this remembrance of my daughter. And and one of the things at her celebration of life ceremony because of COVID, not many people, first of all, could attend. But even during her 10 months and 13 days here on earth, you know, not many people could even knew her. Um, my brother never got the chance to meet her. My parents really didn't know her. You know, if you go to funerals, you have all these people telling stories about this loved one, this dearly departed, that how he or she has impacted their lives or, you know, funny events or stories you know, from their past uh, or legacies that they're, they're carrying on. And it was just, sad uh just just really dis- disheartening to know that you know my wife and i her primary caretakers had all these stories but not many other people did through this medium through this channel i'm, I'm certainly trying to share her and, and and create that story for other people to remember her by so fantastic well, hopefully i can be a helpful champion in, in spreading that word um and sharing that love it's, it's just fantastic Thank you so much, Simon. I really appreciate that. And yeah, just a final message to, to all parents out there. Cherish your children and lead by example and by love.
Mates, thank you all for listening to today's episode. A huge thank you for being on the podcast, Hans. You are an absolute joy to have on the show. You're always welcome back. Folks, be sure to check out his book, where you can find it on Amazon, via audiobook on Kindle, hardcover and paperback. Or you can listen to it also on Google Play Store and Apple iBooks. I'll be including the links where you can support his book in the episode notes. Or you can search Baby Aviva Orangutan Diva and I'll assure you it'll pop up. It's a unique name for sure. Mates, this was a real pleasure talking to Hans. And I'm sure you guys and girls could hear it in my voice. And how much I enjoyed sharing his story, his book, and the loving memory of his daughter Aviva. There really is something special about sharing stories like this and stories with motivational sources coming directly from a really passionate and caring place. And in this case, to make children smile. So if you do get a chance to support Hans and buy his book in whichever format, be sure to leave a review to help others know how good it is, just as you lovelies do for my show. Right now, Hans is hitting on 79 reviews, and that's 79 kids who are now smiling from ear to ear. So great work, Hans. I hope you get many, many more reviews your way. Folks, thank you so much for listening. To my Patreon members, I'll be putting a vote up, and you can let me know if you would like more of these kinds of episodes. Speaking of Patreons, I want to thank the legends that support this show right now. My Patreon supporters are... Mega Samaya Queen of the Felines, my old knight T Titan. Mate, thank you so much, Maya, for your contribution to this show. You wrap a belt around the waist of this podcast and skip it into the stratosphere. Thanks to your support, I'm able to continue to improve the show's quality with better equipment and also ensure that the podcast can try new and adventurous topics just like this episode today. With your support, mate, we're one step closer to doing even more amazing things. Thank you immensely, Maya, for being so darn epic. Not an episode goes up without your input. You're bloody marvellous. My white tea warlord, Lazuka Bowersaurus Rex, Lezamate. Hope you're doing fantastically. Thank you, man, for giving the podcast the old step up in the video editing department. Thanks to you, mate, I'm able to try new editing tools and also continue subscription on tools like Femora X, which is frankly marvellous. Editing twice as fast, thanks to your support, and your donation goes straight into production. Thank you so much, Leza. And my second white tea warlord, because I'm lucky to have two. Paige the Knowledge S, Queen of Insight. Paige, thank you immensely for your support. It's an absolute treat to hear from you and talk about a high achiever that you are. I am glad for your success, Paige. And thank you, mate, for supporting me because I'm able to really shine with this new microphone that you've helped support me getting. And trialing new recording techniques is an absolute blast with this new microphone. Thank you immensely, Paige. And the brilliant tea warriors that supercharged this show, my Earl Grey enforcers I'm lucky to have. Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Divided by Zero, Leah Fassig, and Alia Arcane. Thank you all for being part of this podcast, and every dollar you do set my way goes into punching up and uploading better content. This Friday is going to be another special episode, so join me then, and I promise you it'll be perfect for that Halloween vibe. As always, mates, till next we meet.